you look in the round in the auditorium and you miss some of our young people, it's because there's about 50 of them on the spring youth retreat this morning. Uh, they should be back with us this evening, Lord willing, and we look forward to having them in our services tonight. Brother Shannon read to you from the Lord, the Sermon on the Mount, with regards to forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those basic biblical topics or subjects which we need constant reminders. You know, there's some things that are just simple, basic Bible teaching. And the reason why it is so important is because we all need it. I need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. It is very sad when a person feels that they are so perfect have made so little mistakes that they need no forgiveness. In Proverbs 30 and verse 12, Solomon says there's a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their filthiness. There are people who actually believe that like the Pharisee who stood and prayed thus with himself, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Many people believe that they are in a position where they do not need forgiveness. But we all do. We all must extend it. There are people who sin against us, do things that they ought not do, and we all must learn, as Jesus taught in Matthew 6, that we must extend it. There are some basic biblical teachings that can teach us, help us, to do the right thing and the right way with the right attitude. I don't know if you have thought about it much, but whether it is something regarding our worship, for instance, our singing, our praying, or whether it relates to our everyday activity as Christians, God not only wants us to do the right thing, but He wants us to do it in the right way, and He wants us to do it with the right attitude as well. So this morning we're going to talk about three things. Number one, the definition of forgiveness. What it really is. Number two, we want to look at a demonstration of it as we find it in the lives of real people in the Bible. And then number three, to talk about developing a forgiving heart. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of the definition. I could go to the dictionary and grab a definition, but that may not always give the richness and the fullness of the word as it is used in the Bible. You can open up your Bibles and search for the word forgive, and you will find it over a hundred times, depending upon which translation you are using. When you look at the original word, the Hebrew Old Testament word, and the Greek New Testament word, you will find out that the word is even broader and conveys even a larger idea than sometimes we might imagine. For instance, the word for forgiveness is sometimes conveyed as pardon. Sometimes it is conveyed as a remission or something remitted. 
Sometimes it is as the release of a debt, something that is owed. Let me illustrate that to you from the Bible. For instance, it's the release of a claim or a debt on the property. I want to take you to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 25 for just a moment. And Leviticus 25 relates to the year of Jubilee. And for just a moment, let me explain to you what the year of Jubilee was. Every 50 years, if a person had bought something, it went back to its original landowner. And at the end of those 50 years, those who were slaves would be released or turned free. And they would buy a piece of land knowing that the year of Jubilee might be coming up. If there was 10 years before the year of Jubilee, you really thought of it as leasing it for that period of time. Well, listen how Moses puts it. However, the house of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed. They shall be released in the Jubilee. The word redeemed here, bought back, put back in the right relationship, is the same word for forgive. You come down a little bit further to verses 40 and 41. As a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you. He, his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers. Notice the word depart here. The idea, whether you're thinking about land or a person, is the separation that occurs at the end of that year of Jubilee, or when the year of Jubilee came, they released the land. They released the slave. That's the idea of forgiveness. It's also the idea of the pardoning of a prisoner. If you'll remember, our Lord was arrested. And after being arrested, he went to appear before Pilate, the governor. And Pilate was going to have to decide what to do with Jesus. And so we read in Luke 23, beginning with verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. The word release here, the same word for forgiveness. Taking someone who is imprisoned, who is bound, who is held, and setting him free is the idea of this word. It even describes and is used to describe a divorce or the putting away. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 11, Paul writes, But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. In verse 12, let him not divorce her. Verse 13, let her not divorce him. The idea of this putting away, the setting free, if you will, he says, that is the description of this word. 
Now, there are some things that are not forgiveness that people really believe that they are. I could give you a list of many things, but let me just run over some of the ones that I think are more common. For instance, some people believe that forgiveness is just ignoring the person and the wrong that they have done. As if I won't think about it. I'll try to put it out of my mind. I'll try to avoid that person. I'll try to avoid contact with them. And I certainly, if I have to meet them, will not bring up the issue of the wrong. That's not forgiveness. Others may say, but I won't be hostile. I won't take revenge on them. I'm not going to do them any harm. Others may say, I'll just put him on probation until he proves himself. I'll wait and say to him, yes, I'll forgive you if in the next year you don't do anything else that upsets me. Those things are not forgiveness. Forgiveness means that the debt is considered as paid and the release is granted. I'd like to illustrate this to you from a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews First of all, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. God said, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God said, When those sins are forgiven, I will not remember those sins anymore. Going to chapter 10, verse 18. Now where there is the remission of these... There is no longer an offering for sin. When you have remission, they're forgiven. There's no more offering for sin. When Jesus forgave our sins by the blood of the cross, you don't keep offering a sacrifice. When a person releases another one of a sin and forgives them, you don't have to keep paying for it. Now sometimes the best definition is a demonstration. I know that sometimes I will read in the book something that someone says, this is what you do and here's how you do it. And it may be a little muddled, a little bit confused in my mind until I see a person actually do it. Once I see them do it, the demonstration of it, then it makes perfect sense. Somebody might ask, why doesn't the Bible just write itself in, here's the law of this, here's the law of that, you just do this, you just do that, rather than giving the description of the lives of people like Abraham and Noah and David and why do you have in the New Testament great Bible characters? It's because it's a demonstration of the principles of the laws and the rules that God has given us. The best demonstration that we can find is how God forgives man. How does he do it? Well, let me begin by looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, 
yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice that the first thing you have is the right attitude. God demonstrates his love. Love precedes action. Love is the right attitude. Then it manifests or demonstrates itself in doing something. If we have the right attitude towards someone else, we'll do the right thing. Number two. You go to Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In him, that is in Christ, we have the redemption through his blood. That's the means. You see, God not only has the right attitude toward us in that he is willing to initiate the forgiveness. He's willing to do what it takes to try to bring it about. And God has even provided the means for this forgiveness in the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the shedding of His blood. That's because of His grace. In Colossians 1 and verse 14, very similar. He says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus illustrated it so that a person could not misunderstand it. When you go to the Bible, sometimes Jesus will tell a parable. And the parable is written in such a fashion or was spoken in such a fashion that you can identify with the characters that are being used. And so here's the way Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. His master commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment be made. Here's a problem for many of us. We don't understand the currency exchange between 10,000 talents and dollars. I remember several years ago trying to calculate the amount of gold. And then you try to calculate by the average man's daily wage. I can tell you in 2012 money, this is about two and a half billion dollars. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could pay a million, much less two and a half billion dollars. The idea of using this amount of money was that it be so large that a person could not even conceive in their mind about having that much money to be able to repay. This king understands this man owes him an enormous sum of money. The person begs for forgiveness. 
Continue reading with me. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now I want to stop there before I begin with verse 28. The servant begged, pleaded, give me an opportunity to make things right. That's very important. This servant is not begging at this point to say, forgive my debt. He's saying, give me an opportunity to make things right so I can pay you all. But the master, again, motivated by the right attitude, moved with compassion, released him. I think that means he released him from being thrown in prison. But that's the same word for forgive. And forgave him the debt. What a powerful example that was. Picking up now verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And laid his hands on him and took him by the throat and saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay all that debt, or pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Pause with me again for just a second. Here's a man who owes, in 2012 money, about $4,000. It's not insignificant. $4,000 is still a large sum of money. And he begs, I pray, give me patience. I will pay you all. He's not asking for the forgiveness of the debt. He's only asking for an opportunity to make it right. But this person does not have the right attitude. Number two, he doesn't give the person the opportunity to make it right. He takes him immediately and throws him into prison. And he demands that he pay all that is due. And other people are able to see this. They're able to see it, and it says in verse 31 that they were very grieved. And they came and told their master, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should not you have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. I don't think you need help to understand what that passage is saying. But you know, as you go to the New Testament, you will see that forgiveness is based upon conditions. Let me take you through some New Testament passages for just a moment. The offender, that is the one who's done the wrong, 
has the responsibility to seek forgiveness. In the same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 30, 23 and 24, Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know that your brother has something against you. You know that you have sinned against him. It's your responsibility to leave your gift, whatever you're doing, to drop it. And I think the reason why the Lord chose giving of a gift at the altar was because that was one of the greatest tasks that man could do in life. And it was a religious task. What the Lord is saying, before you come, you need to try to correct the problems that you know that you have. Second of all, the offended, the person who has been sinned against, must go to the offender, show him his error, and then to seek his repentance. And the reason is because it's very possible that he may not know that he has sinned. Let me give you a couple of illustrations or so. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul is talking about how good God has been to him. In spite of the fact that Paul was a very wicked man, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because he has counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, I did it ignorantly. When Paul blasphemed, did he do it because he intended to blaspheme the Lord? No. It's because he didn't think he was the Lord. Paul came to know, he came to understand that Jesus was the Christ. There are times when people are doing things and they think they're doing the right thing. When in reality they're doing wrong. Let me give you a second illustration. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Why do you go alone to start with? It's very much possible that this brother does not know that he has done you wrong and once presented with the truth will say, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I'll correct it. In that case, no one else has to be involved. It's also possible that you may go to show him his fault and you may find out he didn't do what you thought he did. In Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus said, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We can't simply go by and say, Well, he's the one that offended me. If he wants to make it right, he knows right where I am. No, New Testament demonstration teaches that we must go to them. And in order to obtain mercy, one must show mercy. 
James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus, Matthew 18, verse 35 says, So my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother from his trespasses. Very quickly now, how to develop a forgiving heart. Don't make a mountain out of every molehill. Don't take offense at every little thing. And Proverbs 19, verse 11, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. There are times when small things could and should be overlooked. Number two, one of the greatest things that you and I can do to develop a forgiving heart is to look and see what God has done for me. In Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ forgave you. Same thing said in Colossians 3.12 and 13. If one has trouble forgiving against repeated sin against him, then you ought to consider what God has done for you. You know, in Luke 17, Peter looked at the sin which others might commit against him, and he's going to ask, Lord, how often should I forgive one who sins against me? And here's the way Jesus responded. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day says to you, I repent, you shall forgive him. Someone says, well, I understand one, I understand maybe two. No, he says, if he does it seven times in a day, you forgive him. God wants to forgive you. He's approached man in order to get him to repent. And he's waiting for man to act. And here are the conditions. You know, I spoke earlier about conditions. God's conditions for forgiving you. In Acts 2 and verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian this morning, that verse is for you. What God wants you to do is because you believe in Jesus to repent of the things you've done wrong and be baptized and you can be forgiven. If you are a Christian, you must walk in the light and then to ask for the forgiveness of sins that you have committed. Listen to 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son forgives us or cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here this morning and you need the forgiveness of God, this is the Lord's invitation that we're extending to you. It's not our invitation, it's the Lord's. And it's an invitation to come to Him. If you'll come down front, we'll assist you in your obedience to the gospel, or we'll pray with you. If you need to respond, would you come together as we stand and sing?